that takes you through James Joyce's short story collection, Dubliners. This month we'll be covering After the Races. As always, we've got the episode linked in the description so you can read that yourself before or afterwards if you want. And also just to let you know, you should also check out our Instagram, Twitter and or Facebook page. Or you can always reach us at bydubliners at gmail.com. I'll hand over now to John who's going to take us through the theme for the episode before we do a little bit of a plot summary and then get into the, the, the big discussion. Right, this episode we thought we'd look at international relations more broadly. In, in this particular story you have characters from outside Ireland appearing and those characters have different relationships with each other that reflect the state of international relations at the time. And so there's a, there's a number of countries at play here and so we'll try to touch on the main ones. Obviously you have an English character first of all and uh, Ireland and England we've, we've touched on their relationship before but Ireland is a colony of England at this time, has been for a long time and Ireland doesn't have a parliament of its own. The Irish parliament was dissolved in 1800 with the Act of Union, and since then Ireland has been run directly from parliament in Westminster in the UK. So relations between Ireland and England are are strained, uh, to say the least. The uh, next country then to look at is is France. France also has a a long, uh, somewhat antagonistic history with, with England. Um, most people know maybe of the Hundred Years' War and Joan of Arc, but there's also almost a thousand years of, of conflict between those two countries, not continuous, but uh, intermittent wars. And at this time in particular, uh, both countries are kind of vying for colonial supremacy. So there's less direct aggression between the two countries, but they are side-eyeing each other over territories in Africa and in Asia. You know, at, in earlier times, it's breaking out into, into direct conflict. There is a, a certain thawing of, of, of relations uh, between the two countries in that, you know, if you're paying attention, we're talking about 1900 now, and in 1914, both countries will be allied uh, in World War I. Um, and, and part of that is that uh, they're worried about the growth and power of Germany. There's a, a tension between those two countries, but they're also kind of starting to work together a little bit. France, of course, is in some ways seen as an ally of Ireland, at least by the Irish, maybe not necessarily by the French themselves. Um, and part of this is that in 1798, during one of Ireland's many rebellions against English rule, the French sent a force to uh, assist the Irish in their rebellion. They, The French forces had an initial victory in Castlebar, known as the Castlebar Races, but were defeated shortly after that. That's uh, Ireland, England and France. Lachlan, do you want to maybe talk about some of the other countries in involved in this story sure two of the other big territories that are referenced here are uh, hungary and canada so hungary at this stage would have been part of the austro-hungarian empire that obviously would have still existed pre-world war one yeah interestingly and, and it's a it's a point we'll, we'll come back to later on is the idea of hungary being held up as an alternative model for the relationship between ireland and england hungary had within 50 or 60 years prior to uh, 1900 or when this, this story is set would have gained a, a significant degree of independence and autonomy i suppose uh, uh, almost a, a version of home rule uh, for themselves in, in independence from austria and the, the habsburgs whereas the, the counterpoint to that are the, the alternatives canada which technically never declared independence from england it was post-world war ii england essentially gave canada its its its, its own independence canada never really actively sought out or, or fought for its own independence and i suppose these relationships 
of the contextual point of, of these large and small nations being kowtowed to the, the significant global players coming out of the 19th and 18th centuries of, of England and France and the emergence of the New World Order creates a, an interesting background and, and, and talking point or I suppose a discussion point for, for Joyce in the story. I think the last uh, major territory is the US. John, if you want to take our listeners through that. Yeah, the US character in this story doesn't play such a huge role and I guess you could say similarly that the US is kind of pursuing an, an isolationist strategy in the, at this stage. At least the US is not getting directly involved in European affairs, but it is active in its own uh, sphere of influence, so in South America and in the Philippines. But yeah, largely the US is just staying out of direct conflicts in Europe, although they are in conflict with some European powers, for example, Spain in the Philippines. And so, yeah, we don't want to go too much more into the foreign relations aspect, but hopefully you kind of got an idea from that of the big players. And when you meet the characters in the story now, you'll understand maybe the, the natural tensions that might exist between people from different countries. And so with that, maybe we can jump into the story itself. Uh, Lachlan, do you want to summarize for the listeners what happens in After the Race? Sure. So for those of you who haven't had a chance to read the story yet, and as ever, it's not required, but you probably get more out of the podcast if you have. It's very short. It is in the public domain, along with the rest of Joyce's work since, I think, 2012, um, at least in Ireland and, and I think most of Europe. So this story follows a single day in the life of Jimmy Doyle, a young Irishman. Interestingly, he's of the merchant class. It's a segment of Irish society that Joyce rarely focuses on, notable exception being the dead, the final story in this collection. So we first meet Jimmy at a road race together with some of his companions with whom he'll spend the rest of the day. They're Seguan, Frenchman, Riviere, Seguan's cousin who's Canadian, and Valona from Hungary. We learn that the four men are friends of Jimmy's from his time spent in Cambridge, and Seguan is shortly going to return to France to run a car factory with Riviere, his cousin, acting as the manager. Following the race, the four men return to the city and break up for dinner with Jimmy hosting Valona while Seguan and Riviere dine in their hotel. The four regroup later in the evening, together with another friend of Seguan's, the English gentleman, Routh. The group get progressively more drunk and vivacious until they meet yet another friend of Seguan's, the relatively unimportant American, Farley. Farley is the provider of the yacht to which the group retire to at the end of the evening, uh, where they play cards and continue drinking until dawn breaks on the following day. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, thanks very much for that, Lachlan. There's a few things to note about this story that we'll probably discuss in more depth throughout the episode. The first is to note that this is uh, one of the only stories in the collection to feature a wealthy protagonist. Uh, And note that Joyce is showing us a different aspect of Irish society here than we normally get to see in the stories. A second thing to note is that Joyce shows us uh, international characters. We do have in other stories Irish people who return to Ireland, but we rarely have as core characters in the stories people who weren't born in Ireland. Those things placed in context with the other stories in the collection show us the international situation of Ireland and how uh, that is impacting the other characters throughout the collection. And so what's interesting is although Jimmy, as mentioned, is a, is a rich character and he doesn't face the same struggles as a lot of the other Dubliners, he still has some of the same problems. He still is driven by a desire to, to leave Dublin, by a desire to be uh, one of the Europeans, to be at ease with them. And he still has a certain paralysis about him and that he's not capable of acting in a way that would lead to a fulfilling life. The third thing to notice about this story is that it's a lot about money. The word money appears a lot, the word wealth appears a lot, and there's a certain uh, deception or a certain superficiality to the relationships in this story connected to that. So watch out for all those points during our discussion. 
Just to provide some historical background on the story, first of all, this race, uh, the titular race, is based on an actual historical event, an actual uh, automobile race that happened in Ireland in 1903, known as the Gordon Bennett Cup. Joyce correctly records the outcome of the race in this story, as in the, the winner was a German car driven by a Belgian, and second and third place were two French drivers. The race was hosted in Ireland because the winner of the previous year had been a British driver and as a result the race the next year was was meant to take place in Britain. Road racing in Britain was actually illegal at the time and so it was suggested that it should be run in Ireland. This was also sold um, in the Irish press as being a a great opportunity for Ireland that uh, the race could bring in lots of money, lots of wealth from uh, these rich race drivers and, and racing fans. In reality that didn't really come to pass and yeah one last note in terms of Joyce's connection Joyce interviewed one of the French drivers who was meant to be competing in the race in 1903 so Joyce was quite familiar with this race thanks John I think that that provides a lot of really interesting historical context and 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 speaks to I think the point we were making earlier about the relationship between Ireland and the UK or Ireland and England at the time where the you know road racing is considered to be too dangerous or or, or not acceptable for England as a, as a country but they're they're more than happy to use Ireland as effectively as a as a dirt track or a punching bag nearly pushing down their uh, their unwanted or riskier behaviors onto the irish land and i think that that probably gives us another indication of joyce's leanings or or, or, or thinking that's probably reflected again then in the in the character of uh, jimmy's father who's described as starting as a as, as a as a nationalist but over the course of his progressive career becomes more and more involved with the fixtures of the british rule within ireland opening a shop in kingstown which is now modern day Dunleary and similarly then the, he, there's references to his contracts with a police force which again would have been a staple of the British control over the, the, the Irish uh, nation the Irish public yeah you're right as, as you say in, in the story the line is his father who had begun life as an advanced nationalist had modified his views early the term advanced nationalist might lead you to believe that he was especially devoted to the uh, nationalist cause. Uh, we learned that he modified his views early, so it's uh, you know not a sincere devotion. His abandonment of the of the nationalist cause also comes to his his son in terms of his son is initially sent to a Catholic college in England, but then he sends him to uh, Dublin University, which is better known as, as Trinity College nowadays. And yeah, that college was associated as being a Protestant college. In fact, the Catholic Church banned its members from attending the college without permission written permission from the church itself uh, a ban lasted right up until 1970 which is uh, surprisingly late yeah and so there's a kind of a lack of like a coherent ideology or a, or a, a greater cause behind the father he's kind of uh, interested in money but it doesn't seem like he's interested in in too much more than that um i'd uh, i'd actually if i can jump in there john i might uh, i might disagree with that interpretation of the the father's character i'd uh, i think you can make the case that what the father is doing and, and, and what joyce is arguing is that irish people at this time have no choice but to forego or or cast aside their own personal feelings and, and, and perhaps moral or political views in order to succeed in, in this uh, failed state of Ireland, this, this vassal state as a half half in half out kind of country and I think that this this idea of you can succeed in Ireland as an Irish person if you give up your Catholicism if you give up your devotion to Irish ideals and in order to succeed you, you really need to accept the, the, the control that, that England is exerting on, on the country at the time That's an interesting point. 
I think you're correct in some regard in that if we look at the other store characters throughout Dubliners, they do not seem to have a lot of opportunity that this uh, you know butcher from Dunleary manages to to get ahead due to his his close links to the British state is in some way a common domination of that but then we also have to keep in mind that he has at this point made it well in life and and if we look at his actions now if we think about is he advancing the Irish cause now that he isn't met with these material struggles well I think the answer is is no in fact his his uh, investment is not back into Ireland itself but rather he's looking to invest in a, a foreign auto um, manufacturer in France that the link between um, his son and Seguin uh, facilitates yeah, um, that's no, that 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 that's a that's a fair point, John, and and, and it actually touches on a, a an interesting idea, the idea of kind of capitalism within the, the story, and um, and sorry, but t- touches on two points really. There's the firstly capitalism, but but secondly, and and, and you know, the, in in my reading, in preparation for this, uh, an an interesting point uh, that was noted was the um, the presence of technology and the relatively advanced technology that was available or. That is, I suppose, presented throughout this story that, that again, we wouldn't see necessarily throughout the rest of uh, the collection. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of um, the sisters, one of the uh, one of the titular sisters referring to cars with rheumatic tires, whereas, you know, here we, the opening scene is uh, four men in, a, in sitting in an open-topped car, not able to hear one another over the sound of the, the, the wind whipping around them. And and similarly, I suppose this, as as we noted, the, the story ends on a on a yacht docked to the harbor. So again, I suppose we're we're seeing many more symbols and signs of, of of opulence and wealth here than we would either in wider stories or across the grouping. And and I suppose there's a question of whether that wealth is Irish or otherwise. I I suppose no no Irish characters in this story are the actual owners of of this significant capital. And uh, you know I think there's possibly a hint of um, reluctance to attribute actual success to the to the Irish characters while they're successful they are not uh, the most successful by any stretch yes I, I mean I think the the interplay between the Irish characters and the other characters is something we'll we'll delve into in more detail later uh, but I think the point you brought up about technology there and and cars is, is an interesting one and as you as you rightly point out, cars and yachts are these very advanced technologies. At this time, stories set in nineteen oh three, as we mentioned, the the date of the race. Cars are not widespread at this point. Cars are you know more of a luxury good. They're only available to the very wealthy. And if you look historically, I mean, many people know the Model T cars being one of the first widely available commercial cars that wasn't available until nineteen oh eight. And I was reading some stats in terms of how many cars were present in Ireland around this time. And yeah, nineteen oh four only uh, 38 motor vehicles were registered in ireland but already by 1911 that's risen to 5,000. the car is a, a symbol of technology it's also kind of a symbol of i guess capitalist production and it's something that is just happening just as joyce is, is writing this story it's 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 right at the frontier of technology absolutely and i think it, it also um, offers an interesting comparison piece with uh, dracula by bram stoker uh, that's uh, again an, another novel from around this time and and um, i think if, if you're not familiar with the, the the novel itself as opposed to the the movie productions the novel is a an epistolary novel which is a, a, a novel written in the form of uh, letters however what bram stoker did was to take the concept of epistolary novels and replace some of the letters with either gramophone recordings or typed 
up um, kind of typewriter written pieces and things like that. And I suppose there's, there's this suggestion or this churn of the modernizing forces and technology as a as, as a force in, in, impacting society and, and, and changing the way we operate. And I, I think that's core to understanding this story. You're, you're seeing that emerge not just from, from the Dubliner story, but from, I suppose, Ireland and the wider literary movement at that at the time at this kind of turn of the 20th century. Yeah, I think, I think you're right that uh, novels of this time are particularly interested in technology and these transformative technologies like the telegram, like automobiles. And one of the interesting things is how does that interact with, with Ireland as, as a country? I mean, one of the, the second sentence, I think, in the story is, at the crest of the hill at Inchicore, sightseers had gathered in clumps to watch the cars careering homeward. And through this channel of poverty and inaction, the continent sped its wealth and industry. So you have this quite bleak image of Ireland, or at least part of Ireland, the, the hill in Inchicore, which perhaps re- representative of Ireland as a whole. And then you have the wealth and industry of the continent. The poor Irish people living in their channel of poverty and inaction are watching this wealth and industry speed through with reverence, with awe, with desire. Yeah, thanks, John. No, it's, um, it's, it's, it's certainly interesting to consider, I suppose, how... Joyce is presenting this this capitalism, and I, I think it's very telling that the word continent is used, and 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 he's very definitively tying this wealth and success to 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 the continent and and, and, and to these European nations that, that that we've referenced here. So you, you you've got all the, the the major European territories, kind of France, Germany, Belgium, uh, together with kind of further further Eastern Europe with 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 Hungary. Although tellingly, the the Hungarian character who joins them, uh, Valona, is only with them for his musical talents rather than his, his excessive wealth. It's um, Seguan, the main French character, who is um, far and away the, the, the wealthiest or, or, or most successful. He's going back to France to take control of a, of a as of yet unbuilt factory, which uh, he's given a managerial position to his, his, his cousin, who's, who's with the men. And interestingly as well, then I think it, it opens up this idea of uh, Jimmy is planning on investing in this and he's had the blessing of his father you know there's there's almost this not quite opportunism I I, I think maybe you, you could argue that there's a degree of opportunism in I suppose is Jimmy trying to take advantage and and, and, and increase his wealth but I, I, I suspect really what you're seeing is um Jimmy is, is, is being duped by, maybe not necessarily duped, but it's certainly being used for uh, the investments that he can make in Seguan's endeavours rather than necessarily for his stellar company or, or, or interesting personality. Right, yeah, the sentence in that where Joyce discusses the investment itself is, of course the investment was a good one, and Seguan had managed to give the impression that it was by a favour of friendship the might of Irish money was to be included in the capital of the concern. And might here is, is M-I-T-E, so uh, something diminutive, not a M-I-G-H-T, not a sense of power. And so, yeah, you can even just from that story or from that sentence, you can tell that he has an air about him or he's, he's conveying a certain impression that is maybe not, not true. You know, to him, probably money is money, but he's acting as if it's a favour. And I think the fact that the story then ends with Jimmy losing lots of money in this gambling game maybe forebodes uh, his his small loss on the, on the gambling maybe forebodes a larger loss on this investment absolutely no there's, there's definitely strong suggestions here that um jimmy is i suppose being taken advantage of or is um is, is, is being used by by these people as a someone who you can um take a lot of money out of in, in, in a gambling game it's always good to have something like that in uh, in your poker games i think another thing about jimmy's character is that he values money and the appearance of money a lot you can see this in, in the description of what he values in Seg 1. Jimmy found great pleasure in the society of one who had seen so much of the world and was reputed to own some of the biggest hotels in France. 
So yeah, Jimmy as a character, he's drawn to money and he is also impressed by his father's shrewdness in uh, business matters that his father has amassed uh, such a sum of money. But Jimmy himself has, has not yet really demonstrated any, any ability with money. He also seems like he hasn't uh, demonstrated a, a willingness to work either. We have the story of him in college being a sort of a feckless character who kind of get involved in uh, revelry and, and recklessness, but uh, eventually is kind of paid or his father takes care of it and he gets moved on to the next place. So uh, not, not a particularly strong character, I would say. At least doesn't seem to have much of a, a backbone or a, a sense of uh, a willingness to work. No, and I, I, I think um, one one reading that I certainly took in, in, in reading this story was to, to see Jimmy as the cruel, almost, uh, interpretation of Ireland as a country. It's, it's, it's essentially a kind of nearly hapless figure, kind of uh, ultimately tied to, um, I, I, you use the word feckless, I, I prefer maybe hapless, just that he's, um, you know, a 26-year-old young man, has spent a bit of time in, in, in Oxford and has um, met these various different people and is, is now just kind of hanging out in their company, providing no real discernible value other than the access to capital that he has that he can uh, provide to to Seguan and, 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 and co, which I think presents an interesting um, contrast with the, the character of Valona, the Hungarian who's, uh, I suppose, simplistically described as, as, as an optimist and uh, a, a lover of food. He's, he's always satisfied as long as he's got a, a full belly. Interestingly, um, I, th- I think really the distinction or the the comparison between these two characters is um most telling or, or, or most clearly demonstrated in how they go to dinner so jimmy and, and and valona go to jimmy's parents house where jimmy's parents are falling over themselves to entertain and and, and are thrilled at the presence of this uh, valona character whereas seguan and his his coterie if you can call them that dine in the restaurant of the, the hotel they're staying in where interestingly they're joined by another character Roth the uh, English character yeah I think that moment where the characters disperse temporarily for dinner is, is a telling one up to that point the four men Seguan and Riviere and Valona and uh, Jimmy have been all traveling along in the car uh, but then the car stops at the bank on Dame Street and if you know your history, you might know that uh, the bank was formerly the seat of the Irish Parliament. And so the two drive um, southwards then in the car, whereas Jimmy and um, Valona are left to walk on foot north. It's symbolic that the distinction between the characters is clearly drawn at this place that shows Ireland's place in the world, that it is not a country with a parliament, that it is not its own country. Yes, I, I think there's actually an interesting line. It's a little later on, um, as they're uh, just before they join Farley, the, the, the last of the characters, as they they join him on his yacht the line just describes the city as that night the city wore the mask of a capital it's 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 a brilliant little uh, Joycean line where he just in a single in a few in a few short words dissects exactly what um, what's going on here the idea that Dublin at this stage is not a capital city Ireland is not an independent nation it doesn't have its own capital but obviously it is the primary city of the of the country and and, and you'd, you'd be forgiven for thinking you were in a, a capital city when you're you're walking through the streets of Dublin at night so it's it's certainly interesting that um, distinction and, and and again Joyce is just throughout this story hammering home this point that Ireland is is, is not a free independent nation it's um, it's under the control of, of another country yeah absolutely and I, I think the other thing is to single out that word mask it kind of again brings to this this idea of, of services and, and deception. 
Jimmy himself is, is wearing the mask of a, of a wealthy European playboy, but he, he's not really that. And Seguan is, is wearing the mask of someone who doesn't really care about the money, but he's obviously, uh, you know, quite a skillful operator. And yeah, to go back to your, to your earlier point in terms of uh, contrasting Jimmy and, and, and Valona, we get the impression that Valona is, is quite, uh, quite charismatic. You know, he, he's able to speak to Routh, the Englishman, on the beauties of the, the English madrigal and an old English instrument. So he's, he's, he's quite uh, informed about things whereas Jimmy's conversation uh, appears kind of boorish or, 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 or in no way compelling yeah no ab- ab- absolutely I, I think um, it's, it's certainly telling the friction between uh, Routh and Jimmy uh, I, th- I think starts off early enough and, and, and progresses across the, uh, the the rest of the evening I, I, th- I think it's interesting to to, to draw one draw one distinction between Jimmy and, and Valona it's I think there's a strong suggestion that Valona knows his place within the group and within I suppose the society as a whole as opposed to Jimmy who seems to be it's suggested is, is, is unaware I suppose ultimately of his place within the, the the pecking order and his role within the the grouping as um, essentially just a, a money bag with who's, who's constantly being cut off and as he attempts to outline his position or his opinions on things. Yeah, uh, there's this moment where uh, they arrive on the yacht and Valona just uh, naturally goes to start playing uh, music to entertain them and yeah, he does it like without really saying anything. And similarly, once they start gambling, Valona just uh, disappears. He uh, doesn't participate in the game, so Valona seems to be conscious of his place in the world more more able to use his his position to his own advantage in a way that that jimmy seems to be just uh, frivolously throwing money away by comparison if we look then at the yeah the, the other international relations here you know we have this conflict between between the english and the french and we we have obviously then the the direct competition in terms of the race at the start. It's interesting, the source of wealth for Seguan is in automobile manufacturing, where, uh, you know, very much a, a kind of modern, futuristic, machinery-driven um, industry, whereas Jimmy's wealth, ultimately, from his father, is as a, as a butcher. And I suppose that, that distinction there between Ireland as a kind of primary industry and, and, and agri- agricultural producing nation, as opposed to, say, France, considered at the time to be more of a, and I suppose, an industrial nation. And, and, and again, then the, the third comparison with Valona and Hungary as, 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 as really ultimately producing just uh, music. And, and even there, the what you referenced, Valona's interest in the, in, in the madrigal and his, his um, concern for the loss of the traditional British indus- instrument and um, the idea that, you know, each of these characters can be tagged to different or their value, I suppose, capitalist terms can be tied to very different roles or functions within society, kind of meat and agriculture versus industry and technology versus kind of music and art as, 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 as three different ideals. Yeah, that's an interesting point. They're all kind of bringing something to the table in terms of wealth or in terms of enjoying the night out, in terms of what they're bringing to the evening itself. Although they're all uh, coordinating together to, to enjoy an evening out, there's there's also this underlying tension that runs through the story. Um, as, as I mentioned, we have the, the race at the start, which is overt competition or explicit competition. There's also this, this gambling game at the end and the primary conflict in, in the game, they have one big game at the end and it comes down to uh, Routh and uh, Seguan, so the Englishman and the Frenchman. And Jimmy knows the competition is, is between them and he doesn't know he's going to win, but he knows that he's lost. And so there's a sense that Ireland getting involved in international affairs or the Irishman trying to be involved at the same level with these other nations is only going to result in misery or failure for the Irishman. 
Yes, no, you're right. It's 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 certainly interesting, and the, the game definitely, um, I suppose, acts as a microcosm, nearly, of, or a neat little summary of, I suppose, probably Joyce's uh, opinions on international relations at the time and uh, how the world was structured. I think it's 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 telling. Um, I think the, the the concluding line on the on the game is Farley and Jimmy were the heaviest losers. Farley, of course, being the American. So again, in, in interestingly suggesting, I suppose, America's rise to power and might hadn't happened at that stage, or it was while while a, a significant international power was you know I suppose the League of Nations and and, and kind of post World War One it, it, the the it was really when the U S emerged as a, a dominant global capitalist force so at, at this time obviously it was uh, you know really England was probably seen and, and England and France would really have been seen as the kind of two dominant players on the international stage uh, yeah absolutely and uh, if I can maybe tie it back into the to the title then I think as I mentioned earlier that the the French were involved in the uh, the Irish Rebellion of, of 1798, uh, that they tried to support the Irish there, and they landed in Castlebar, and they, they had a victory known as the Castlebar Races. Uh, so you might tie that race then into the um, into the title of this story, Races, the Castlebar Races and after the race. So it's a question of what happens immediately afterwards. Well, right after 1798 is, is when um, the Act of the Union happens in, in 1800, and, and Ireland loses its parliament. So... Again, parallel with the um, with the card game here, we see that you know no matter what happens with the the English and French conflict here, where France are fighting England on the territory of Ireland, uh, Ireland are the ones that are going to end up losing. You're right there. No, it's it's it, it it's an interesting ideal, right? Certainly, and 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 I think again we we can another interpretation of the title after the race is I suppose the idea of race as a synonym for ethnicity or the idea that that each of the people's nationalities is significant in their characteristics and that these people have adopted the characteristics of, 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 of their respective nations. And again, I mean, I think Joyce, you know, we, we take back to the beginning of the story, you know, there, there's concern over the fact that the uh, the driver of the winning car, of the winning German race car is actually a Belgian. Obviously, Belgium, a territory that was uh, contested between France and Germany and, and uh, these these historical allusions to inter- true, to real international relations that have been happening at the time and the, 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 the zeitgeist or the conversation that, that, that was obviously swirling around Joyce his head as uh, as these were all playing out yeah if i can maybe forward one one third maybe interpretation of of the title itself again we have these characters of jimmy doyle and his father who have emerged above the race you know they're no longer in this fight for survival and the question is is what happens afterwards uh, yeah no that that's that's definitely interesting i mean look we, we we've talked a lot there about joyce's literary techniques and and, and a lot of illusions so i mean and, and i think we, we've referenced this in, in in previous episodes as well that joyce is, is uh, an incredibly detail-oriented writer the each individual word nearly can can carry a huge amount of significance you know and, and i think that, that that maybe leads us into more of a, an abstract discussion of, of the story as a whole yeah like as you said we've kind of looked at some of the wider uh, symbolic meanings but um i think we, we can also look at just the story itself and, and how it's constructed and i think as with all the stories up to this point it's quite a compelling story to read through you know it's this in theory it's just this happy night out but the whole way through there's a sense of tension some of it emerging from this this kind of sense of conflict between nations as we've alluded to already but uh, also the sense that perhaps Jimmy is to a fall or that everything isn't quite right with Jimmy he's descri- described as being um, unlike the other characters not happy but excited and we also have these these moments where things aren't going quite right for him that he's you know he's sitting in the back of the car and uh, Joyce writes 
This was not altogether pleasant for him, as he had nearly always to make a deft guess at the meaning and shout back a suitable answer in the face of a high wind. So he's trying to converse with these two in the front of the car, but he's having to, to shout at them. And similarly, once once he starts to get drunk, he has this uh, almost falling out with, uh, with Ralph at dinner, uh, that he, he feels the buried zeal of his father awake within him. He, he starts to argue over nationalist themes with Ralph, but his... Um, yeah, his nationalism is, is, is quickly uh, extinguished by, by Seguan, who lifts his glass and toasts to humanity. And uh, again, I think it, it's, it's a similarly a testament to, to the weakness of Jimmy Lee's character, to his lack of, of a, a backbone, at least in terms of nationalist ideology, that he can be um, dissuaded from his anger, he can be di- directed away from his anger by a, a something as, as feeble as a toast to humanity. Yes, it's it's really interesting, all right. The um, the tension within the story, and I, I suppose that's that's palpable almost across the entire the entire story. Definitely, as 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 the narrative progresses, I suppose it's um you you can see almost Jimmy's character is a, a follower nearly across um across the story. His uh, his mood, I suppose, ebbs and flows with with that of the the, the wider room and, and things like that. I, I suppose I'm, uh, I'm I'm thinking near the end of the story, Jimmy is. Um, Watch it effectively, just watching the, the the card game play out. He he knows he's already uh, completely lost. Uh, I suppose there, there, there's a line. Uh, what excitement! Jimmy was excited too. He would lose, of course. And it's just this this duality of you know this game is exciting. Therefore, Jimmy's excited, even though he knows he's going to lose. And it's it, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that he'll lose. But uh, he's still excited about the activity happening around him. And and there's that. Um, I suppose similarly that there's there's that tension there between his excitement and, and, and his sense of enjoyment from being included in this um, I suppose this wider international card playing group of people and then a complete lack of recognition on his part of his role within that or his position or the reality of this the circumstances he's in. Right. Yeah, Jimmy's lack of awareness about uh, situational awareness, let's say, is a, a key contributor to the sense of tension through the story, and I think that comes out again when we hear about his speech um there's a kind of a uncertainty in terms of how the speech is being received uh, as to whether the, the other characters are actually appreciating it or or not um, the line is jimmy made a speech a long speech felona saying here here whenever there was a pause there was a great clapping of hands when he sat down it must have been a good speech so Jimmy isn't really aware of it's a, whether it's a good speech or not, but uh, and the, the fact that the hands start clapping when he sits down could say that it was a good speech, or it could say that they're just they're glad his speech is over. Definitely, no, it's it's um, again, yeah, no, I think uh, just just another great example of of, of, of Jimmy's um, lack of awareness or, or lack of self awareness with regard to his uh, position within the grouping and and and. I suppose how he is perceived by the, the the remainder of the group. So I think I think that 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 quote you gave there, John, is actually an interesting example of free and direct speech. That is a literary technique where the objective narrative or the third person narrator, who we don't, who I suppose isn't isn't any one of the specific characters, begins to adopt the mannerisms or the effects of whatever is going around going on with the the characters being described. And you know I think you can a, a little bit that comes through. Um, in, in, in Jimmy's kind of in, in, in the line it, it, it must have been a good speech where this is not a statement necessarily made by Jimmy himself out loud or, or, or you know it's not clearly signposted as being a thought of Jimmy's it's just kind of a, 
a suggestion the, the narrator himself has at this stage lost track of what's what's going on and, and, and is suggesting it must have been well it must have been a good speech it was uh, everyone was clapping at the end of it and I, I, I think there's, there's, there's several instances of this throughout the uh, throughout the story um, I think even in just the, the structure of um, the opening of the, the, the story is, is, is very mechanical it, it, it's kind of these long long open kind of sentences and discussion points whereas as it um as the story goes on they, they, they get considerably tighter yeah it's um it's a very useful technique i think for joyce because it allows him kind of to have both ways in that it's not this first person narrator where we're restricted solely to a particular character's viewpoint you know the narrator can step back a little bit and editorialize or or provide a little bit of context but we also get some idea of the um the characters you know feeling for how they're experiencing things but also some idea of their uh their thoughts and feelings and yeah i also noticed that that the sentences really change as as you go through the through the story at the start you have almost flower flowery speech you know there's a there's a description of uh how how they felt um how jimmy felt while traveling in the car and it's rapid motion through space elates one so does notoriety so does the possession of money and it's it's quite a flowery speech whereas as you mentioned yeah as it gets towards the end there's these short snappy sentences that show a very different mood we assume that the narrator is is taking on characteristics of jimmy we see that he's no longer capable of complicated thought or of poetic expression definitely um i think a, a, a great comparison is is um when they finally go out to to farley's yacht they take the train from westland row and the the, the, the exact line is they took the train at westland road and in a few seconds as it uh, seemed to jimmy they were walking out of Kingstown Station. This, um, you know, it's just this kind of experience that you have. And I, I think we've probably all experienced it when you're uh, in the throes of a, have had a few drinks and, um, you know, time seems to expand or dilate with um, with the, the level of excitement and, 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 and giddiness that, that you're having in, in, in that moment. And, you know, I think, I think you compare that with the, the, the earlier quote of kind of the idea of sitting in the car and, and, and this long and the, the, these kind of extended sentences and this, this very much aware of the time being spent in the car and, and, and the act of traveling as composed as compared with the the train ride which is is is, is almost like this instantaneous yep a couple of seconds later we're we're um, out in out in kingstown or out in out in dunleary which uh, is a dart ride journey that i would take uh, every so often it's uh that's that's a good 30 30 40 minutes uh, in the in the modern day dublin i can only imagine it would take uh, longer on a tram yeah joyce's representation of drunkenness is, is quite accurate I, I also loved the moment where uh, they meet up with Farley uh, and everyone is suddenly talking over each other and excited and nobody's really sure what they're saying but that, that experience of, of, of meeting someone by chance when you're when you're on a night out is is, is one that uh, at least for me always always prompted a sense of excitement so you know I think it's um, it's certainly interesting there how Joyce um, talks about drinking and, and, and the, these ideas of um, I suppose documenting the state of being drunk or, or, or the state of drunkenness. I think Joyce was uh, famous for uh, enjoying himself. <laughs> and uh, I think he's, he's accurately captured or ac- accurately reflecting that uh, that state throughout the narrative. I think um, there's, there's, a, there's a number of different references throughout the, the story to the, the amount of drinking that the, the, the men are doing. And um, it's, it's, it's very strongly suggested that, 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 that the men are, are, are quite drunk by the, by the end of the story as they're, um, they drank Ireland, England, France, Hungary, the United States of America. Um, is, is, is the quote as, as, as you know the, the men are, are kind of standing around and just constantly toasting to each other and toasting to their respective nations and, and t- 
toast you to humanity earlier in the story, there's just this perpetual sense of um, constant going, way, way, as, uh, as everybody uh, throws up another drink and, and, and has a uh, toast, to, toast to Ireland, toast to the United States of America. Interestingly, there's no uh, no toast to Canada as well, which is just, a, again, another little um, hint there that uh, I suppose the absence of Canada or the absence of or the lack of significance of the Canadian nation, it effectively gets absorbed into, I suppose, a cousin or a subsidiary nation of, uh, of, of France and England as it was at the time. Yeah, one other aspect of the story which we haven't really touched on yet is, is Joyce's use of, of light. I mean, we've, we've mentioned this in previous stories, how... A lot of the stories have been stories about set in the transition between day and, and evening. Evelyn, in particular, was sitting in the evening waiting to uh, waiting to go or not go um, on the boat. And similarly in Araby, we have this child who's running out just as everything is getting dark. Um, but here we actually get to see the nighttime, or at least we get to see parts of it. As you noted earlier, Lachlan, there's some jumps in the narration, such as when they're on the train. At the end, we do then have this this closing of the story, um, Daylight Gentleman. And so, so yeah, rather than having just day into night, we now have in this story daytime and then nighttime, and then finally daytime again. Yes, no, it's interesting how you have the line Daybreak Gentleman and the idea that we've returned to light again. And I think as, as you've mentioned and as, as, as we've talked about in, in, in previous episodes, the idea of light illuminating things and, and, and providing insight or, or knowledge. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the sisters and the, the candles in the windowsill indicating the absence or presence of, uh, I suppose, the spirit of, 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 of the priest there. And I suppose it, it raises the question, because I, I suppose we've talked about, you know, in, in, in talking about the previous stories, we, we always kind of, talk about the epiphany and the, the epiphanic moment that, that, that emerges from each of the stories. And that there's a question, I suppose, as to whether there is a, a true epiphany within, within this story. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, I might read out that, that final section there just to, so we can get into the, into the mindset of, of Jimmy in that moment. He knew that he would regret in the morning, but at present he was glad of the rest, glad of the dark stupor that would cover up his folly. He leaned his elbows on the table and rested his head between his hands, counting the beats of his temples. The cabin door opened and he saw the Hungarian standing in a shaft of grey light. Daybreak, gentlemen. Jimmy is at this moment in a... He, he knows his, he's kind of done some stupid things throughout the night, but he's kind of happy enough to, uh, to just be in this, this drunken state that he doesn't have to, have to deal with it right away. As you mentioned, the, the, the light comes in, which might suggest, suggest a realisation, but... I'm not sure at that point if if uh, Jimmy has any moment of growth or moment of personal realization, or if it's just he's going to be confronted with uh, the fact of what he's done. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 interesting, all right. Certainly, the epiphany here is 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 considerably uh, lesser than it has been in some of the other earlier stories. It's 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 a much more introspective one, and and, and again, I I think to to an extent, I'm reminded of uh, an encounter. In that, I, I suppose it's it's this inward realization or recognition of something that possibly Jimmy has, to some extent, always known, but is 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 maybe coming to realize that that this endeavor there's, there's a suggestion that the folly that that Jimmy is um, is covering up isn't just the loss of the the game of cards, but it's the wider, I suppose, failure of of, of him to integrate within. This community within within this group and, and and to fail to recognize his own role 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it's a question of will he ever recognize that? To me, at least, the way I read this is that Jimmy doesn't really have an epiphany. Joyce is almost giving us, so look, you know, this is the exact moment you would expect the epiphany. The light is dawning. He's coming out of drunkenness. Expect some realization, but I don't think it. I don't think it arrives, and I think that's what the story turns on a little bit. There is uh, that feeling. The uh, the idea that I suppose the epiphany is the absence of an epiphany, nearly that uh, Joyce's that the epiphany is ours rather than one of the characters in 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 this for this story. That that we realize that Jimmy is not uh, doesn't have that self awareness or isn't isn't going to be capable of. Uh, I suppose dealing with. Uh, Dealing with the reality, the, the, the outcomes of, of, of the world he's living in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, Jimmy is a character who has more opportunities than, than most of the other characters in Dubliners. And yet a lot of the other characters seem to be uh, more self-aware than he is. So he's, if not paralyzed by uh, material conditions, he's paralyzed by um, a lack of a core in some ways. You know, he doesn't have any anything to fall back on in terms of his nationalist ideology is weak. He doesn't really seem to care about much other than fitting in with these people and so this kind of um, I guess you would say maybe like poverty of the soul uh, is just as, as paralyzing or just as as inhibiting as uh, some of the other characters have in terms of their material condition. Definitely it's, it's, it's an interesting idea. Now one argument I would make against that is the use of the word uh, the Hungarian to describe uh, the character of Valona as he um, as he makes this announcement, Daybreak Gentleman. And I, I suppose this is the only instance in this story where a character is referred to by their nationality exclusively. So you have characters described as being American or being an Englishman or what have you, but uh, it's the only time a character is, is reduced to their nationality, the Hungarian rather than Valona, the Hungarian or, or, or Valona. And I, I think that, that maybe suggests a distinction being driven that, that Valona is, rather than being reduced to simply being Hungarian, that, that Valona is representative of Hungary as a whole and that Hungary has had its its, its daybreak moment, it, it's um, as, as, as we as I referenced at the, the top of the episode, um, Hungary at this stage has achieved a, a, a not insignificant degree of liberation from uh, Austria while still remaining part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And, you know, even even that, that they've got their title in the, the name of the jurisdiction of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, whereas obviously Ireland is uh, completely absent from the description of the United Kingdom or um, of, of, of Great Britain or, or, or of England. And, you know, possibly I think I think that suggests in some way that what we're seeing is a realisation that, that that Jimmy has failed and, 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 and that Jimmy is, is aware of his, his failures as, as an Irish nationalist or as, a, as, as to distinguish himself or to create an independence for himself. Yeah, maybe so. I, you haven't quite convinced me, but uh, if we look at that last sentence it's he's standing in a shaft of gray light so there, there's ambiguities in gray so maybe we can we can close on that do you have any uh, final closing thoughts on the story or, or on our next story Lachlan yes I mean I think what I would say is this is a you know if I'm honest this is probably not one of the strongest stories in the collection it's certainly not one that um, I have the highest level of resonance with compared with some of the other stories um, but that said I think you know the work in, in, in doing the research and, and, and doing the work on this episode I've, I've, I've come to appreciate it more than I, I would have uh, previously and I, I think part of that is, is probably getting to an understanding of the political geography of the world at the time and, 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 and the layout of that and I think to, to some extent possibly the dissatisfaction or the, the, the lack of engagement with this story is, is, is partly driven by the dis 
distinction that it is very tied to a time and place and how the world was in you know 1903 1904 as, as opposed to uh, how the world looks now in, in, in 2022 i mean i don't know if i find it a disappointing story but i i do think yeah your your, your point about it being um a story that requires a little bit broader context is is accurate i i think that's explicitly maybe what joyce is attempting in this story is to contextualize the other stories within dubliners as as i mentioned this is you know the only story where we have a significant uh, international characters it's also the only story where we have a wealthy protagonist some of the other protagonists aren't poor but they're not very wealthy you can kind of see the systems that are played that are that are keeping ireland within its its place and keeping the irish people within their place that these uh, wealthy irish characters who have made it are complicit in the in the persecution of ireland and the persecution of the irish people that they've allied themselves with the british crown that the other people that the irish see as their friends you know they describe the french as their friends they're also not really helping them at all that they're also just kind of pursuing their own capitalist ends and so this story is one that it's it's, it's important in the collection i think because it provides context to some of the other stories no, that, that, that that's fair so look i think we, we can we can wrap it up there thank you for listening and um you know join us join us next time for uh my personal favorite story to Gallant. So uh, a little preview there. The, the, the next episode should certainly be, uh, be an interesting one. And thank, thank you very, very much for listening. And, and as ever, check us out on um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, by Dubliners, and uh, our website, bydubliners.com. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs>